Hi guys, how is everyone tonight? Doing good. good. How are good. you tonight, Megan? <laughs> All good. You know, just getting back into the swing of things. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about millennials and job hunting, uh, which I feel like is a very millennial topic to discuss. And I was reading that millennials are are the gen or the millennial generation is the generation most likely to switch jobs and just hop from job to job. Um, so I'm curious what you guys have to say about that because I definitely agree with it and I feel like I've <laughs> definitely done that too. Yeah, we kind of touched up on this a little bit last week when we were talking about the economy and how like. And a lot of the jobs that are available, or at least that we've had access to, they don't really pay enough. They don't really offer us any benefits, especially benefits that we don't also have to pay for with the small salaries that we, or hourly wages that we do manage to get. And there's not really an appeal to kind of retain millennials in the jobs as there was before with like our grandparents when they could have a job or a position for 20 years and get promoted and retire with a pension and have insurance for their whole families that they didn't have to worry about. We don't have that. And we also, like, there are jobs now that at, you have to have, like, maybe, what, five to ten years of experience outside of college just to be able to qualify for those. And it's like, I don't know, it's it's very elusive, those careers of our grandparents, the lifestyles that they had access to and the security that they had is very elusive for our generation. Yeah, it's like a dream of Christmas past or something. <laughs> yeah, I can agree as well. I I don't know who exactly told me, but I want to say someone much older than me, wiser than me. I told them not to keep all of my eggs in one basket. So even though I am gainfully employed, you know, you always want to keep your options open for that, that better opportunity, you know, better to have and not need those options than to need and not have is my motto. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do you guys think that our generations like that though? Um, like we're always looking for, more money or better benefits or, I don't know, the non-traditional nine-to-five work schedule because of the burdens that we've had to take on for our education, or some of us at least, like with debt. And I know we've talked about this in other episodes, but how we've had to basically shift the steps of life of getting a job and if you're in a relationship you know eventually moving in and getting married and buying a house and how we've kind of had to shift that into our like late 20s early 30s um do you guys think that has anything to play into of why we're always hopping from job to job i think it depends Mm, on oh go ahead Chandra. Oh, no, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I was still getting mine together. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on one situation. So if you're 
at a, a job or working for a company that you're not really happy or satisfied, I guess your natural tendency is to look for a better opportunity. But there are good jobs out there that I think millennials may be satisfied with. Um, those jobs are just occupied. So I believe the percentage is uh, in the, the former example where there's a lot of millennials that are in jobs that they're not really satisfied with, so they're always seeking a better opportunity, more money, you know, those types of things. So they end up job hopping. And But on the other side, if you're working for a company that kind of takes care of you or you're doing what you love, you know, there's kind of no need to uh, look for another job as that company's taking care of you. So I think it really depends on, you know, that particular person's situation. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. If I'm if I find a job that offers me, you know, the things that I need, you know, especially being a mother and having a family, making sure that I have an income that not just I don't want to just make ends meet and live check to check. I want to feel secure. I want to be able to take my child on vacation. I want to be able to invest in her education. So I need I would need a job that allows me to do that and not only on the financial end of those things but a job that understands that I am a mother and I am going to have to take time off to be with my child when she's sick or when she's on break or you know like there are certain things as a mother that if I can't have that in a job I can't stay there I can't stay somewhere that's not going to pay me enough for my child to have the food security that she needs. I can't stay at a job that Mm -hmm. isn't going to offer health insurance for my child so that she can go to the dentist and, you know, to the doctor and all of that. I I need those things. And so like, like Norvell said, a lot of those jobs are occupied and they've been occupied probably by the same people for the, like the past 10 plus years now. And the possibilities of us getting those jobs are slim to none. So we have to, find other ways and job hop or find side gigs and other things just to supplement things. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like I've gotten more picky as I have worked and then now been back in school and I'm thinking about going back to work and what I'm going to look for. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, and I don't want to, say I feel pretentious but I I feel like I'm looking for a job that is either occupied because no one wants to leave that great job or a job that doesn't exist because I remember my first job like real job um, it was great because I didn't have to follow the typical nine to five I could come in kind of when I wanted and leave when I want Um, It was basically as long as I was getting the work done and, you know, fulfilling Mm -hmm. my responsibilities. And now I don't think I would ever go to a job where I have to clock in because Mm -hmm. I didn't have to do that in my last job. And I feel like that's just something that now I'm like, okay, I had that before. I'm not going to take a job where I have to, which is such a simple thing, but if I'm held to like, okay, you have to be here by 8.30 every single day on the dot, mm-hmm. then I'm like, nope, I don't have time. Like, I'm not going to do that every day, which is bad. But then, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I'll find a job that lets me do that. So then I 
don't mm-hmm. have to settle for that's something really minute and small, but I just feel like we can we get to choose because now there's options and employers have to kind of cater to us considering the millennials are I'm pretty sure they're the largest like group of working of the working generation. I feel like I've read that. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> so now they need to cater to kind of what we want instead of this traditional like factory jobs. Like I don't know. I mean, I had friends in high school that did factory jobs during the summer, but yeah, those just don't exist anymore. Like you sh- said, Chandrea, of having mm-hmm. a good factory job and having benefits and getting paid like seventy thousand dollars a year and having that pay for a family. Mhm. What and I definitely agree with the hour. Oh. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Yeah, go go ahead. But I was just going to say, like, we, when you were saying, like, having a job that you th- didn't have to clock into and, like, not having to deal with the whole typical nine to five, like, that was my first, that's how my first real job was out of college. And I feel like boiled me for ever entering into a job where that would have to be my life. And I was watching an episode of Adam Ruins Everything one day, and, like, it kind of put it all into perspective for me because that the typical nine to five, the 40-hour work week, wasn't even created for, like, times like these. It was created for those factory jobs where unions got together and demanded that they have a set number of hours that they could work so that they could Mm -hmm. make enough to feed their family. So, (laughs) of course, now in our generation, we're like, we don't even have those jobs. Why would I work those hours? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because I felt since I had the freedom to kind of work when I wanted I most of the time ended up working more than 40 hours just because mm-hmm. in that job I really enjoyed it. So I didn't mind putting in the extra work because I knew, hey, I don't, you know, if I don't feel well in the morning, I don't have to technically take paid time off for two hours just because I'm going to come in late. So mm-hmm. I felt, I don't know, I thought that was great. So I hopefully made a like an effect on the company and had a little (laughs) bit of change because I was working more than they were technically paying me, but it was because I was happy and had the flexibility to do so. And having that flexibility makes you more productive and it increases the employee morale. Like Mm -hmm. people should really get on this. (laughs) I know. Who clocks in? I think you guys are a little spoiled. I would love to get to work at 8 a.m. Norvell's over here. I like, would, though. What? <laughs> you guys don't I would in. love to get to work at 8 a.m. I, I oh, get to work man. at 5 a.m. every day. Oh, wow. And it is brutal. <laughs> I so what time do you have to leave, Norvell, since you commute from, or you, like, live in L.A.? So that early, there isn't much traffic, so I really don't have to deal with it. Oh, that's It takes true. me about 15 minutes huh. to get to work, but on the way home, it, you know, exponential jumps up about 45 minutes to an hour depending on how bad it is it's oh, raining wow. so it's a little wow. worse now but yeah those early mornings uh kill me i would love a job <laughs> i can go into <laughs> at 8 a.m that would be awesome right now 
Dang, you just made me feel so privileged. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know if I can do a 5 a.m. job. <laughs> no. It's a lot of uh, what? early nights. How <clears throat> late do you work until? So uh, my my crew starts. So I work in a manufacturing plant, so factory. I'm a supervisor. My crew starts uh, first shift at 6 a.m. And they usually work from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. I usually leave after them, and I'm usually there before them. Depends on what's going on. If I have a lot of meetings uh, with my manager or something else that's going on, I usually try and get out between 2 and 3. Just late days. You know, some days I end up working 12 hours. But because I'm not waged, you know, kind of all meshes together. It's a good day if I get mm-hmm. out by 2, but... That's rare. It's usually between two to three, sometimes a little bit later. Dang, that is a long day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I've gotten used to it. It was a little bit weird that you guys were talking about, you know, factory jobs and them all being occupied because, uh, you know, I kind of attest to that. And I'm not going to, you know, say what company I work for, but I do work for, you know, a company that makes uh, consumer goods. And um, there's a lot. My my workforce is uh, anywhere from, I want to say, the youngest is maybe late 30s, maybe. Um, Really? On up, maybe about 20 years. And the average tenure of my employees is 20 years. So the youngest has been with the company about 14 or 15 years. And we have plenty of employees that have been with the company about 30 years, longer than I've been alive. Wow. So that's kind of the norm. And, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're taken care of for sure. And mm-hmm. I think that's why they've never left. So I think, you know, jobs and the benefits and everything were booming back then. They just got in at the right time, you know, in the right place and got something good and decided to stay put. And I feel like those types of jobs are out there for millennials, but a lot of them are occupied and people aren't leaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like, too, I remember when I got my first job and my boss had been at the company for seven years. And she was like an older millennial. I think she was, she's 35 now. And I had asked her, oh, so, you know, are you going to get another job soon? Or are you looking to move? And at the time, I didn't realize how naive of a question that was because she's kind of more traditional, like she wants to stay there. But it was, I just remember thinking like, wow, why would I ask that? Because that's typical in my, our generation to like, wow, you've stayed at a company for seven years. Like, why would you want to do <laughs> that kind of thing? And, right. You know, like, I can't imagine that yet in my life, I guess. But if you, I also get stability. So if you're taken care of, why would you leave a company that you know is, you know, paying you well and going to provide good health care? And, I mean, I don't know. It's it's just weird to think about that people still like to do that, but then that that's not crazy either. How do yeah, you guys I can go agree with that. For jobs? Uh, I guess if you are on the job hunt, like, how do you millennials? 
I was asking how do millennials, I guess, go about looking for jobs or even applying, you know, like what's, what's that process look like? I know it may be different for everyone, but you know, what's, what's that process look like? Oh man! Well, I had a friend that was like submitting like 20 different job applications, maybe a day, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just, Try like just to hear something back, you know. And I mean, I the last thing I filled out an application for was grad school, so like I knew I didn't, I was not ready to do a year's worth of job hunting again. And even now, like just trying to think ahead to what I'm gonna do when we graduate in 2020. Like I have to start planning and preparing to do outreach for those jobs now just to even have the possibility of being in the networks that I want to be in. And I know a lot of, a lot of networking events has been going on in, in our city a lot. And that's how a lot of people make the connections and find out about the jobs that are available. But I mean, it's still, it is a very daunting task. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. totally agree with that. Um, I'm actually, so I'm about to, well, almost finish my first year of school. Shandrea and I are in the same program and I want to get a job this fall and work while I'm finishing the second year. So I'm already thinking about mm-hmm. where I want to apply and cause I want to get on it before it gets too close because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you think it'll only take a month or two and then it takes six months and you're like okay Mm -hmm. that's that didn't work out um I've definitely looked on LinkedIn a lot and then I'll just search companies that are in the similar realm of what I'm looking for and then just look on their websites is kind of my I don't ever go through like indeed because I feel Mm -hmm. like when I did that last time I never heard anything back because I felt like it was just getting lost in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, Indeed's pretty, I don't know. I I would use their site to kind of find jobs or find roles, but mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever received any callbacks with any applications I, I filled out through them. LinkedIn is a great resource as far as looking for roles. I think LinkedIn is a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I've gotten further in my job hunt just by using my network um, and my network through LinkedIn, but my professional network as well, you, you get to calling people, you know, and just staying in touch and keeping that network open, mm-hmm. asking around, hey, do you know anyone here? Hey, do you know anyone here? And uh, there's mm-hmm. a good chance that uh, somebody will get you in contact with somebody that can at least, you know, get your foot in the door. So I've had a little bit more luck that way. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Um, If you can kind of get past, like, that HR stage Mm -hmm. and have someone refer you by name, I feel like that's just steps ahead of anyone else applying because it's, I mean, in my experience, the HR person is the one that kind of filters through the resumes Mm -hmm. or at least does the initial screening. And then if they don't think, if they don't know you, and, you know, there's nothing, like, you don't have a great interview. It's kind of like, well, they're going to pass along. So, okay, guys, uh, we're going to take a break, but 
make sure for any of our listeners to call in. If you'd like to call in, the number is 917-889-8078. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag one million strong. The CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are a strong advocate for life empowerment, like empowering a generation that has been grossly misunderstood and disparaged to shatter the misconceptions about them. No Sleep was created to give millennials a platform to express themselves and let the world know who they really are and what they believe, their values, interests, fears, and more. This is a diverse group gender-wise and racially that we are very, very proud of. We invite you to tune in, whether you are a millennial or not, and learn from these outstanding young people. Listen every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 7 o'clock p.m. Central for No Sleep, Shattering Millennial Misconceptions. Hi, Mom. Is Claire's birthday party today? Me again, Mom. Where did I put my history book? Hi. Sorry, forgot one last thing. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. At school, I start looking out the window, and then I forget what I was supposed to be thinking about. I know it seems like I don't care, but I do. It's just difficult for me. Love you, Mom. Bye. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. People been saying to your friends, get a different face. someone being bullied online you can be a witness and make a difference by letting the world know it isn't cool and by letting your friend know you care learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org brought to you by the ad council listen and imagine it takes five seconds to send a text and for those five seconds you're driving blind life is worth more than a text Stay alive. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. It's not just cliche. It's more than a slogan. It's our identity as America's voice for championing important causes and issues like reading literacy. Host and producer Joanne Burrow tackles this issue in a number of ways on her show, Read, Read, Read. The first and third Saturday of each month, 
12 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Central Time. Read, Read, Read is more than a program. It is an initiative started by Ms. Burrell to attack the problem of reading literacy and reading proficiency with the ultimate goal of expanding the program to include mentors to help students with not only reading skills, but also life skills. She also invites interesting guests to come on her program to discuss their challenges with reading as well as their joy and appreciation of reading. Some of the guests are authors who discuss their books and offer their insight into the importance of reading and being good readers. Join Joanne the first and third Saturday of every month at 12 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Central Time for Read, Read, Read exclusively on your network for causes, issues, and life empowerment, the CWR Talk Network. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Hey guys, so we're talking about millennials and job hunting, and I wanted to continue the conversation by asking you guys what you do to prepare for an interview. Um, I was reading an article on for or no, Gallup, and it was talking about how millennials uh, prepare for interviews and what they do to check out a company. And I was just curious what you guys do. Um, like, do you look on LinkedIn? I'm sure you check out their website, but... I sometimes get in full creep mode and find who all works (laughs) there and things like that. So how do you guys prepare for interviews with a company that you have really wanted to work with or would like to if you haven't interviewed with them yet? I aspire to get to creep mode level (laughs) during my job (laughs) hunt. (laughs) <laughs> I'll use it for various other reasons of, or areas of my life, but job hunting never, it never came to me for that. Definitely. Like I'll check out the website uh, for this international project that we have to do. Um, I even found one of the people on Facebook. This is, this, this was the first of my, you know, my <laughs> first step into the creeper <laughs> just to find out like, okay, so who are they? What are they interested in? You know, because if you can find out, like, they are into Harry Potter or something, you can find good conversations mm-hmm. to have with people based on their likes and interests. So definitely I'm I'm getting into the creep mode now <laughs> and then making sure <laughs> that my dialogue in the interviews is mission-centered, like around focus on their mission, quotes that they may have used or authors that they may reference in anywhere in their websites or anything like that, just so that I'm prepared to have those key terms flowing whenever they're throwing questions at me. And then mostly preparing myself to answer somebody's question. So 
thinking of what they could mm-hmm. ask me and figuring out, okay, what would be the best answer to that? What are my strengths and weaknesses? What are some experiences that I feel like I could share with them that will let them know that I'm prepared for this position? So just a lot of preparing myself and finding out what key terms that they would be most interested in hearing. That's really good. good <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Really good strategy. Um, For me, so sometimes I get screening calls. Someone from, from the recruiting team will give me a call, and it's usually like a short conversation, and I believe they're calling just to see if they're not like, you know, schizophrenic or something like that because it's usually like a 10-minute a call, you know, if that. So I usually just mm-hmm. give my, you know, 30-second elevator speech where I just high-level talk about, you know, some of my previous roles and, you know, my undergrad degree and those types of things. And uh, that kind of gets the conversation flowing. And I kind of let them lead those conversations. Um, the real interview or the longer interview is, is really what I prepare for. I kind of use like three points that I kind of make sure I hit when I'm preparing for those interviews. So the first is just behavioral questions. I feel like any job or any, any job I've interviewed for has always asked behavioral questions. Tell me about a time when you had this situation happen. What did you do? And uh, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, gather a bunch of different examples that I've had, you know, recently um, and some of them in the past as well. But to have those ready to go, it's hard to think of those on the spot, especially, you know, mm-hmm. I've done so many things in my career, um, and it's hard to really bring those things to, to the forefront when you're put on the spot. So I always write down a bunch of ideas so I know these are my, my talking points, and uh, I'll make sure that I have those ready to go. The next piece is um, the job description. I feel like when when you're on those calls, it's usually with a hiring manager, and then maybe someone from HR to make sure that everything goes, you know, with their, their mm-hmm. procedures and their processes from a hiring standpoint. But the hiring manager just wants to know that you're qualified for the role. They don't want to give you a job and then have to do your job for you. And and mm-hmm. I'm speaking from experience as well. It's, you know, when I, when I conduct interviews, I want to make sure that the employee is, is, you know, certified for the role or qualified for the role. And, uh, the easiest way to get prepared from that standpoint is to use the job description. And there's tons of bullet points to say, hey, this is what we expect, X, Y, Z, and expect questions stemming from those and be able to articulate how you're qualified for the role based on that. I think that's kind of the most important piece. And that's kind of like the second bullet point that I I make sure that I hit when I'm getting prepared. The last is I make sure that I do some research on the company because I've been burned with this before where, you know, I'll get called into an interview with a company I haven't done any research on. You know, a recruiter or a headhunter have reached out to me, and I just went to the interview. I may have, may not have been looking for a job, but I just wanted to keep my interviewing chops up, and I had done no research on the company at all. And uh, they'll ask, like, hey, what do you think about our company, our values, X, Y, Z? And you just, mm-hmm. you wing it. And, and I feel like when you wing it, they can tell that you're winging it. So always do mm-hmm. a little bit of preparation and learning about the company and having those bullet points to hit when, when those questions come up and having good questions to ask when, when the interview is over. Like, hey, well, we're done asking you questions. Do you have any questions for us? And it's good mm-hmm. to, like, you know, ask very 
good questions because, you know, kind of takes the tension off of you and puts it on them. And now they're, you know, kind of stuttering and nervous too. It's a little fun trick I play. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But um, that's that's pretty much it. That's that's what I do to prepare. And um, I've been successful at a few. You know, you win some, you lose some. But I'll make sure that I do those at least to prepare. Wow, you guys do a great job. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, curious, I think. So, okay. Oh, sorry, Shadrea. Um, I was curious, like, how far is too far? Because I was thinking about if someone, if I interviewed someone and they came in and basically knew all about me in an interview and how <laughs> I would feel about that. And so huh. I was, I always think about because you know LinkedIn, depending on what you put on LinkedIn you can basically see someone's entire history, like where they went to school and what they were involved with. And I always try mm-hmm. and think of what is too much information where it might freak them out that we went to that length to find that. I don't know. Hmm. That's well, kind of creepy. <laughs> that's what I thought. I- See, and that's why that's why it's important to let them lead the conversation and just like drop mm-hmm. like don't mention that you know that they're into it or where they live or went to school, <laughs> but maybe like I don't know, like drop it like oh I went to school at whatever their rival school was or like a school mm-hmm. maybe close in in a neighborhood where they grew up or something like that. But like you have to be strategic with how. <laughs> with how you let your information slip so that they don't know that you stalked them before the interview. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's a fine line between creepiness and, and preparation. That was definitely freaking out. <laughs> I was like, hey, I, I see you like baseball. I'm like, excuse me? Right. <laughs> Where, yeah. Where'd that come from? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I but you could also you like point out stuff on their desks and things too. Like sometimes oh, people have little memorabilia and stuff on their desk that kind of show those things. So you can pull conversations from lots of stuff. That's true. To help get to know what kind of person they are. Yeah, that's a little different. That's 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 a little different because it's kind of on the spot. Like it's obvious. Like if somebody mm-hmm. has, you know. Uh, some horns or some deer antlers or something like, oh, hey, I see you like to hunt, you know. Uh, that's that's different versus, you know, creeping their Facebook page. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. Two years ago, you tweeted about uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> I like Harry Potter, too. And I'm like, dude, like, are you stalking me? Like, <laughs> that's kind of weird. I've never looked for someone on Twitter. That's interesting. Not that I look for a lot of people on social media, but I've never thought to go to Twitter. That would be, that would be extra creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But maybe like for companies, you could follow their company on Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's, Just not that's them fun. personally. But they might follow you. Like since I, since I write now, like I'll follow like a poetry journal or something that I want to submit to or something and sometimes just by you following them they'll 
you know, see that you're interested in them and they'll get that notification and they'll look into you themselves. So they sometimes mm-hmm. they'll creep on you. You don't even have to worry about creeping on them. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, so Norvell, you mentioned what kind of questions to ask the company or the people that are interviewing you. Um, and do you have a specific question that you go to to kind of stump them, like you said, um, to make them think since they kind of control the room and, you know, they know what they're going to ask. So do you guys have like a question you would like to ask or always ask when you're in an interview just to, you know, switch it up? I think kind of for me, like what's, I feel like what sets me apart is always ask, so it, it depends. So when I'm doing my research, I'll, I'll come up with questions and they're like legitimate questions. They're not just like filler questions. There's things that, you know, I need to know because, you know, when I'm interviewing for a role, I'm going to give it a hundred percent. I'm going to give it my all and I expect to be, you know, compensated. I know that sounds kind of bad, but you know, I feel like when you're working for any company, it needs to be kind of like a, I'm going to, you know, work very hard for this company and I just want to know that I'm taken care of. So, you know, I ask good mm-hmm. questions. So an example would be, I remember when I was an undergrad, I got recruited at a, a college fair by a company um, in Colorado. They're based in Colorado. I've never been to Colorado other than that interview, other than for that interview. And uh, I could just see from, from driving around and, you know, kind of doing some research that the demographics just weren't, you know, kind of where, you know, I, I would expect you know, with a, a large company. So in the interview, I asked, I said, hey, what are the demographics of your company? You know, me being uh, African-American or black or, you know, uh, of African descent, I don't really see a lot of, you know, representation of different cultures around here, you know, and, and I feel kind of, I don't know, alienated or left out. You know, I, I don't see a lot of diversity in your company. And that stumped the interviewer. I mean, like, it was, like, <laughs> stuttering, and, you know, like, well, you know, and that made her think, and I think that, mm-hmm. that posed a great question. I ended up turning down that job for that very reason, because she couldn't, she couldn't answer that question, and I think, like, mm-hmm. a couple of days after the interview, this lady had, you know, people calling me from the company, you know, like, oh, yeah, hey, I heard you were looking for, you know, a uh, a role here, and I heard your interview. We're very interested in you. And this this company is just so diverse, and you know my husband's wow. black, and all this other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, pass. This is like uh, wow. creepy now, you know. Yeah, so. that's weird. Mhm. Yeah. I yeah. Sometimes I companies think. <laughs> yeah, sometimes companies think diverse by diversity. They you mean like just adding white women to, to the staff and not like other people of color <laughs> but like just because you add women doesn't necessarily make your place diverse I mean you you still have to have different minds and different backgrounds and experiences like I'm I, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a good question I never I would have never thought that I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna add that <laughs> That's a good one. That's yeah, a good that's one to have awesome. in your pocket. What should you not ask <laughs> would be my question. Ooh, what yeah. would you not want to ask at an interview? Like, what's too far? Like, 
if you know that a company has been struggling in a specific area, should you bring up, like, what are your plans to address blank or something like that? Would that be too far in an interview or I guess it depends, you know, like, go ahead, go ahead, Megan. Well, I I was thinking, I mean, I, for some reason I went to like the Me Too movement of how to address sexual harassment in the workplace, because I feel like that's still something no one has quite figured out Mm -hmm. how to deal with properly. Um, I don't, I don't know. To me, I don't think that's too far, especially I guess from a woman's standpoint, because Mm-hmm. Now that it's become mainstream and it, you know, companies have to actually think about that. I don't think it's rude to make them answer that question. And if they don't, I guess that's a good sign that you shouldn't work for a company that doesn't have <laughs> a plan in place for something like that. But that's really specific mm-hmm. too. That probably doesn't apply to all um you know, like touchy subjects that you could talk about. That's definitely an important one. <laughs> I think yeah. money is another one that probably shouldn't be brought up too early. I feel like with most roles, it's a lot of them ask like, hey, well, in applications that I fill, that I fill out, what are you expecting? You know, kind of what, what's like the minimum amount you would take? And that's me putting out my expectations there. So if I get called in for an interview, I don't really feel a need to ask about money. Now, when it mm-hmm. comes to like negotiation phases, that's after they've already given you an offer. Then you kind of have a little bit of leverage. But um, early on, like in the interviewing phase, they haven't even decided if they want to give you the job yet. So for you to ask about money, it's like, you know, comes off as a little bit either arrogant or, you know, uh, like your priorities are in the wrong place. So I usually never, never bring up money until like negotiation phases or unless they ask. And then I kind of just give them, you know, ballpark ranges. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to go, you know, lower than this. And I usually ask specifically, what's the lowest you'll go? You know, what are you expecting? You know, full compensation, those types of things. And you can put out your numbers there and it's it's pretty straightforward, but. I wouldn't ask them, like, so how much are you going to pay me in the interview? Mm-hmm. They're going to be thinking in their head, like, nothing. <laughs> Not even going to pay Not attention yet. anymore. Like, get out of my office. So, right. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of weird. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring that money. That's something I've been thinking about because that is so hard to know when to ask because I feel like I'm, I don't have enough experience yet to know what an appropriate amount is. I mean, gauging from mm-hmm. whatever company you're working for, but um, I just, I was trying to think of an idea of how to do that. And I thought of, I've never pitched this to anyone, but I thought maybe this would work, um, is asking what are the salaries of someone else in that company that has that same position I mean, not any identifying information, obviously, but because um, I also think about as a woman, like not getting underpaid. So, but I don't know how that would, if that would be received well of asking, like, please show me what your other employees make at my job in an interview. I don't think that would come off very well. 
Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah, would probably be a tough one. <laughs> Mostly because, like, p- people in that position might have different levels of experience and that, like, mm-hmm. I would, I would go back to what Norvell said and like wait till like the negotiation terms, and then like a lot of companies don't even want their employees discussing salaries amongst each other just for that specific reason that you were talking about that inequity in pay. So that's that's a rough one. <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on like where you are in your job hunt. Um, like when I was. Uh, interviewing fresh out of college or when I was still undergrad trying to find a full-time role, I wasn't really asking about money. I was just looking for larger companies. I know that larger companies would pay you, you know, bigger salary. They have more benefits, you know, more options, those types of things. So I was, I was looking for, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And then as I, you know, got in my role and was really offered the money, um, I didn't negotiate at all those first few offers that I received. I just I just took them, and uh, it wasn't until I really started, you know, uh, getting a little bit of experience in the industry, and uh, saying, hey, this is this is what I'm making now. My next role, I want a promotion. Started learning more about you know percentages and you know kind of what's ridiculous and what's not, and I think that's that's helped a lot. Um, you can't just go in there saying like, hey, I want to. 10% raise, you know, or 15% raise, mm-hmm. you have to know, like, what's feasible and what's not for that industry. Some places that may be normal, you know, to get a 10% raise mm-hmm. or 15% raise out of nowhere, but in most industries, that's not that's not just feasible. That's a huge bump. People get that when they get promotions, not raises. So I guess it just depends on, on where you're looking. Definitely agree. Um, All right, guys, we need to take another commercial break, but just want to remind anyone who's listening, if they want to call in and join the conversation, the phone number you can call is 917-889-8078. Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. The CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are a strong advocate for life empowerment, like empowering a generation that has been grossly misunderstood and disparaged to shatter the misconceptions about them. No Sleep was created to give millennials a platform to express themselves and let the world know who they really are and what they believe, their values, interests, fears, and more. This is a diverse group, gender-wise and racially, that we are very, very proud of. We invite you to tune in, whether you are a millennial or not, and learn from these outstanding young people. Listen every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 7 o'clock p.m. Central for No Sleep, 
Shattering Millennial Misconceptions. drinks i'm taking it slow well you're not fooling the cop behind you what get ready to pay in point one miles getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around ten thousand dollars in fines legal fees and increased insurance rates nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving because buzz driving is drunk driving brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the ad council listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag one million strong. Okay, guys. Um... So, do you guys have anything else about job hunting and millennials? Uh, I just wanted to ask, like, what is it that draws you guys to a job? Like, what is it that makes you fill out an application for a job or a company? Like, what is it? It what is it that, as millennials, you yourselves are attracted to when you are out there seeking to? enhance your career opportunities and everything. It's a good question. Go ahead, um, <laughs> For me, uh, somebody asked me a while back, like, hey, what's your, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? And, you know, like set out many goals in order to get to that larger goal in five years or 10 years. And I really base my uh, job hunting or the roles that I wanted to take on, you know, those goals that I set. So uh, when I was fresh out of college, I said, you know, hey, I want to be a plant manager. I want to manage my own plant, my own factory. And, you know, I would talk to people, you know, and I would have mentors that were plant managers and they would tell me all the roles that they've taken, you know, and I would try and find those types of opportunities. And I think that's what kind of steered me towards certain roles. And uh, as I started to get those experiences, I kind of like developed my own taste of, you know, kind of what roles I like, what what roles I can be high performers in, you know, what would be a growth opportunity, what would be a challenge, you know, to try and continue to to grow my career. So I guess it just depends on what you're looking for long term in, in my eyes. Because what you end up doing if you don't do that is taking, you know, kind of like a in-between job or something that you don't really want mm-hmm. to do. Uh, before you find that that role that that really you know fits you, so I would say you know think about the big picture first before making any drastic moves. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I feel like at this stage in my life, I'm looking to move somewhere next where I can settle down a little more or for longer because I've moved. Um, more than I would like Mm -hmm. and so I feel like knowing or making sure 
that if it's a company I really want to work for, that one, they have the opportunity for growth um, because that's something that I, if I want to stay with them, I definitely want to make sure that they, you know, if I want to either get paid more because working in the nonprofit world, there's not uh, a lot of, like most nonprofits, I feel like don't get bonuses. Uh, They might get increases, but it's nothing, you know, like very significant Mm -hmm. or very large. Um, So I would definitely make sure the company had room for me to grow. And then, yeah, I don't know, just having that flexibility of not that typical schedule and um, definitely making sure that it's, I wouldn't get burnt out quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I haven't thought of too much about it yet because I don't, that seems like so far into the future, even though it's not. But, yeah, just the culture of an organization, too, you know, that it doesn't just look pretty on the outside, that, mm-hmm. you know, you their employees are happy and they're maybe not staying for 15 years, but that they're not leaving because they're disgruntled in any way. Right. What about that kind of leads Andrea? me to my next question. Oh. Um, well, I guess for me, like – I'm not really into a typical job. Like I'm, I feel like I'm more of a problem solver. So consulting is where I'm like my heart is. I couldn't picture myself with a particular company for years out of my life, but there are things mm-hmm. that I want to work on like women's empowerment and youth development and, you know, just <laughs> social justice issues. There are these things that I want to work on as a person. So finding organizations and, businesses or government agencies that are working towards, you know, solving some of these tough problems for us, just wherever I can be of service, you know, that's that's what I'm looking for, somebody who isn't going to take advantage of the communities that they intend to serve. That's most important for me in everything that I do because I want to have a positive impact on the people that I work with and partner with. I don't want to go in and I don't want to be a part of something that's going to impose anything on other people or try to define what they should be for them. And so finding Mm -hmm. places that are, that that's their mission, that that's what they're all about. That's what draws me somewhere. (laughs) And I'm just going to ask you guys, like what, what would make you leave since (laughs) since we've talked about job hopping and, all of that. So what would what would be like a final straw for you at a place or like what would be something that you wouldn't be able to tolerate at a job that would make you say, you know what, I don't need this anymore? Um, for me, I'm, I'm pretty, I don't know, I'm pretty down to earth. I'm pretty reasonable, I think. Um, I feel like if, if you work hard, you should be rewarded, you know. Um, and I think if there's been, you know, a long time where I've been really busting my hump and really putting in a lot of work and with zero to no recognition, I would start looking elsewhere because you, you feel mm-hmm. like you're being used. Like when you're working for mm-hmm. a company, it should be almost like a partnership. 
you know, like, hey, I, I'm bugging right. mom mm-hmm. for the company because you guys take care of me. It should be a partnership. Let's work together. But if you're doing a lot of work and you're not really taken care of, you know, that'll make you want to start looking outside. Um, I'm, I'm a big, you know, uh, a believer in not putting all your eggs in one basket. But I, mm-hmm. I don't think that applies to all industries. It may. But, uh, you know, in my industry, I think it, it definitely applies. Not more so that, you know, you, you don't have any loyalty to your company, but just, you know, anything may happen. It may not be, you know, the company's fault or, you know, your manager's fault that, you know, you may get laid off or something like that. And if you don't really have anything mm-hmm. to fall back on or have that network open, you can be, you know, in a bad place. So uh, I would always leave for, you know, a better opportunity that makes sense for me. It's your life at the end of the day. You know, right. there's mm-hmm. no you know, chains holding you down. You know, some people have contracts, but there's usually not a lot of contracts that say that you have to you have to work for me. It's usually financial. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if you leave you have to pay back this money that we gave you or XYZ, but you know, just mm-hmm. just do what's right for you. If I feel in my heart that, you know, time for me to leave and this is a better opportunity for me, you know, any smart person would say, Hey, you know, if it's if it's best for you, you know, I wish you the best. So Few different things. Yeah. I would say for me, um, I think if I didn't have a great relationship with my boss, not a great, but a good relationship, mm-hmm. I had a really good boss at my last job and we got along really well. And there were other parts of the job that were really tough and, um, like managing people and so she kind of balanced that out of like okay but I get to learn from her so it's it's worth dealing with all the crappy stuff Mm -hmm. Um, so I think if I didn't have a good boss or if I didn't have a boss that truly cared about um, wanting to develop you know their people and understand that I might move on to another job, but that they still want to prepare me in the best way possible for that next job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, just recognizing that, you know, I'm not going to be here for 20 years, but they still care enough to invest in my professional development. Right. So, I think that would be a big one, is that relationship I would have my immediate supervisor and um, you know, just the company shows besides, you know, paying you well and giving you benefits that they're they're taking care of you in other ways and they care about your well being in other ways too. Mhm. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. All right, guys. Well, if we don't have anything else, um we can go ahead and end. So next week we're going to talk about millennials and reading. And I know that Ooh. I think in previous podcasts we've talked about like different books that we read. But um, so come with your favorite books and favorite ways to read. And we'll see you guys next week. All right. All righty. Take care. Bye, guys.